he's not just a comedian. He's also a minister, and you're going to find that out today. Uh, God has used Dennis in different arenas and continues to work through his life to shine the light and darkness. And he's got a great gift of humor, but I've watched him also develop in his walk with the Lord where uh, he also has a great gift at delivering God's word and speaking words of life from the word. And so I'm honored to have him now. Uh, what's amazing about Dennis is that he's been on Comedy Central. He's been also on Dry Bar Comedy. Uh, he's also recently performed in front of the president of Mexico. And he gave the president a very good idea that he learned at one of the Air Force bases that he uh, was at. Uh, he told the president of Mexico, you want to get people o- across over the wall? Use hot air balloons. And uh, so the president's considering that. <laughs> Uh, and, and he's also survived near-death experiences, and we, we heard about three of them this morning in our first service. And I'm telling you, Dennis, we are honored to have you, and I'm excited about what God is going to minister through, to us through you. So welcome Dennis Gaxiola as he comes to share with us. Come on. You didn't say this Praise God. You got a pastor that's up front worshiping. Give Pastor Angel a round of applause. Everybody have their coffee already? First service, there's like a little bit of spirit of slowness up in here. (laughs) I'm proud because I haven't worn white shoes in about 30 years. And check it out. I look like one of those missionaries in front of the grocery store today, man. All I need is a bucket and a bow tie, and I'm ready to roll. (laughs) It's good to be here. Um, This is beautiful, man. You're packed. Two years from now, it will be three services. Last time I was here, there was one service. Now we're at two. Dinuba, it's going to be Dinuba, the Christian worship center, the whole city. Amen. (laughs) It's good to be back, though. Um, My wife couldn't make it because I I didn't tell her where... (laughs) I love my wife, but I've seen her every day for the last three years, and uh, she's a genius, so smartest person I know. Not smartest woman, smartest person I know, because every man up in here knows that when the wife is upset or the girlfriend's upset, they're on pins and needles. You know, you say the wrong thing, it makes the situation worse. My wife's a genius lady. She got the permanent makeup, eyebrows. She got them done in bad attitude. I don't know when she's mad, so I'm on my best behavior. <laughs> no, that's, that's my hell. That's, she's smarter than me, man. No, she's... Men understand that the women are smarter than us. Clap your hands if you agree. The ladies have instincts. Bro, I'm trying to help you. You didn't clap. I'm trying to help you. All we ask is let us be right every once in a while. Once you, once you want to win one a year, Pastor, just let us be right. And don't let us be right when you know we're wrong. 
we're turning left. You know we should go right. You're like, go ahead, Columbus. <laughs> I almost got shot for not listening to my wife. I mean, not by her, okay? <laughs> She's Puerto Rican. You know, she would have cut me. <laughs> my wife's Puerto Rican from Hawaii, but she lived in Alabama for seven years. I don't know what accent's going to come out. <laughs> Sometimes she got that Hawaiian pigeon going, and then she throws in a southern. Oh, try for think, darling. <laughs> we got kids at home still. We even got a grandson living with us. I'm a grandpa now. I got six grandkids. Two girls, the oldest and the youngest, but the boys are in the middle. And my grandsons are named Nico, Nolan, Sebastian, and Ace. Nico, Nolan, Sebastian, and Ace. I'm the grandson of Sixto Sanchez. <laughs> of my mom's father, Sixto Sanchez. And my dad's father was Fulgencio Giajola. We went from Sixto and Fulgencio to Nico, Nolan, Sebastian, and Ace. We went from vine ripened to store-bought salsa in three generations of it. <laughs> I developed some pet peeves. I shared with the first service of the certain things. I'm at that point where certain things get on my nerves. People on social media, because I was a lot of time on social media during the pandemic, uh, with, with the, ho- the whole thing they say nowadays, Am I the only one? You know, they'll have something dumb. Am I the only one that thinks tacos are better than burritos? Am I the only one that thinks earth, wind, and fire is better than the Beatles? Something stupid. There's 8 billion people on earth. I don't care what you think. You're not the only one, okay? <laughs> If you feel sorry for albinos because they're white without the privilege and black without the cool, you're not the only one, okay? That is funnier than what you guys gave up. That's really... (laughs) If you thought an aphrodisiac was a hair care product, you're not the only one, okay? If you notice that Barbara Bush and the Quaker old man never went to the same party, you're not the only one. Look, somebody, you got your phone. Google Barbara Bush and Quaker oatmeal. It's the same dude. (laughs) If you think Chuck E. Cheese is a gateway to gambling problems, you're not the only one. If you got your family portraits from Chuck E. Cheese... You're not the only, come on, I'm the only one on that. If you took those portraits and put them in a frame from dollar store, that's a dollar fifty family portrait. Come on, somebody. If you thought IKEA was a Japanese furniture store, you're not the only one. Okay, I know you don't have IKEA in Dinuba, uh, but there's IKEA is a big Swedish furniture. If I have to explain these jokes, we're gonna be here all day. Okay. <laughs> 
Ikea is a big Swedish furniture warehouse store. You go through the warehouse and you pick out your furniture and then you go up front. And, but I thought it was Japanese, not Swedish. I'm walking through Ikea because I said it, Ikea. I, you know. <laughs> I was like, man, these Japanese make good meatballs. I didn't know they were Swedish. You know? That joke would be funny when you go into the big city and see Ikea and you go in there and you're like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> if you think Rosie O'Donnell is the most beautiful woman in the world, okay, you are the only one. <laughs> Where are the single ladies at? Single ladies, I want to help you right now. Single ladies, clap your hands. Single ladies. You're clapping wrong. You're clapping. That's, that's, that's it right there. You're clapping like this, and that was kind of aggressive. You're scaring her. You're like, like, she could fight right there. So, ladies, you want to get a man, you need to clap like this. You clap like that, every single guy in here will know she makes tortillas. <laughs> Pastor mentioned I had some near-death experiences. Um, I, I want to share them with you guys. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, the first one is because I'm cheap. I, I was flying to Las Vegas to start a week of shows. And don't judge, okay? That, that's, that's my battlefield, okay? Going out into the, to the marketplace and sharing, uh, taking light into darkness, okay? Um, I could have flew out, flew, flew out of Oakland at 2 o'clock, get to Vegas at 4. Show don't start till 8. But no, the flight at 6 a.m. was $200 cheaper. I'm about saving money. So I I get to bed at midnight. I get up at 3 in the morning. I'm off to the airport. I'm exhausted. And on the flight, I'm one of those people, I don't care how tired I am. If I don't get my free drink and my free snack, I feel like I got ripped off. Anybody feel me on that? (laughs) You know, it could be a free flight. And if I don't get my free drink and my free snack, I'm like, rip off. We take off, we're in between Oakland and Las Vegas at about 30,000 feet in the air, and I'm falling asleep, and I hear the snack cart go by. I'm like, hey, Coke, peanuts, and I got a Coke, and I got some peanuts, and I'm eating my peanut. I tore the bag open. I didn't even act like I had some upbringing. I tore it open, and I poured some in my mouth. One went right down my windpipe. 30,000 feet full-on windpipe blockage, and I'm like, man, I'm going to die on this flight, and it didn't even wreck. I'm selfish too, you know. If I go ahead, everybody. <laughs> well, the flight attendant, um, a very flamboyant gentleman, um, heard me choking. <laughs> and he came running down the aisles like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> he's choking on peanuts." <laughs> I gave myself the Heimlich right there. I was like. Don't, don't laugh like that, bro. You got to let it out, all right? You hold it in here. It could come out somewhere else. And that's just wrong in the house of God. That's all I'm saying, okay? Okay, that was death scare number one. Um, 
Death scare number two, number two, I thought I had a heart attack. It was gas. <laughs> Anybody ever have gas caught up in their ribs? Okay. Uh, just me and you are honest, okay? <laughs> like we're the only ones that eat late night tacos right there, brothers. See? <laughs> you get gas caught up in the upper chamber, it feels like every breath you take hurts. So I told my wife, I was like, babe, every time I breathe, it hurts my chest and my ribs. She didn't even call 911. She said, let's roll. I live in a little town called El Sobrante, California, which is Spanish for uh, East Richmond. <laughs> People don't realize that Richmond is actually worse than Oakland. We got some spots like the Iron Triangle that the police don't mess with. It's the hood. We're running through the hood. My wife's running red lights, acting like she's an ambulance driver. We don't have a siren. She's just running red lights. I can't mention the hospital because of liability, but um, everything they do is permanente. Uh, <laughs> that's Kaiser, bro. You kind of. <laughs> I don't see this in my concordance. <laughs> I try to distract myself because the way she was driving, I'm thinking, I'm going to die before I get to the ER, you know. I start messing with my phone. I had a brand new phone. It was an iPhone, and um, my text notification was bamboo. Anybody familiar with bamboo on your phone? It sounds like this, which is very nerve-wracking in public because when you hear somebody smack their lips, you think you have a message. You look at your phone, nothing, very stressful. Especially you go to Buffalo Wild Wings and everybody's smacking their lips. You think your phone is blowing up, nothing. I did the most, most church. I said most. I did the most. <laughs> See, I made fun of my wife. She's watching on live stream, and uh, she's like, that's what you get. <laughs> I did the most churchy thing I've ever done. I went from bamboo to trumpets. Sherwood Forest is trumpets. I said, praise the Lord. I'm going with trumpets. We get to the ER. They don't let my wife in because of the pandemic. As soon as I said chest pains, hard to breathe, they put me in the gurney. They wheel me to the ER. They do the EKG. And they gave me some medicine to calm my heart rate down because it was just nerves. I was so nervous. Uh, my heart rate slowed down, and I got sleepy. And I'm falling asleep thinking I'm having a heart attack. And after about two hours, my wife sends a text to check on me. So I'm half asleep thinking I'm having a heart attack, and I hear... Oh no, I didn't make it. <laughs> I opened my eyes, there's two Filipino nurses there, and I said, Heaven is in Manila. <laughs> the younger nurse, she was from here, she didn't have that beautiful Filipino accent. The older nurse was from the Philippines, she had that beautiful accent. And I heard them talking. And, uh, the younger nurse said, the doctor wants to admit him. And the older nurse said, yes, to the carjack unit. And I was like, hold up, ma'am. I didn't get carjacked. I came in with chest pains. She said, shh, you're going to the carjack unit. I was like, man, Richmond is really ghetto. We, <laughs> we got a unit just for carjack victims. 
we went upstairs and the elevator doors open and I see the sign, cardiac unit. I was like, ah, cardiac to my heart. They had to transfer me from the ER bed to the bed for the night. And they had to do the, redo the wires. You know the one they put on your finger for the oxygen saturation? That one, I felt, it could have been wrong, but I felt like the lady was, was uh, checking, checking my manhood because she put it on, she squeezed, and she looked me right in the eye, Pastor, and she pulled. She pulled my finger. Every man in here has done the pull my finger trick at least once in their life. Even the pastor has done the pull my finger trick. I felt obligated. This woman going to challenge my manhood. I felt obligated to let one go. So I obliged. And I, uh, when I did, the pain was gone. I was like, oh, I feel so much better. And she, she said, oh, you're nasty. Go home. That was death scared number two. Death scared number three uh, was the most personal one. Um, I'm not making fun of cancer. <clears throat> God has delivered my wife from cancer five times, so I'm not making fun of cancer. Every family has been touched by cancer. But uh, how many how many know that men can get breast cancer? Wait, raise your hand if you knew, brother. Okay. See, big man right there. You didn't know, huh? I didn't know either, bro. Don't feel bad. I'm in the shower and I'm scrubbing down and I notice a lump on the right side of my chest. I get out the shower and I tell my wife, babe, I got a lump on the right side of my chest. She examines me. She goes, you have a lump on the right side of your chest. I said, I know. That's why I said I have a lump. (laughs) She says, call the doctor. I call the doctor. They get me in the next day and the doctor examines me. And after the exam, he goes, "Uh, you have a lump. On the right side of your chest. I said, you talk to my wife, huh? (laughs) Now, if I lived to be a hundred, I would bet every dollar I ever made that I would never go through this next experience. Because all of a sudden, I'm in the mammogram department. Mammogram. Me in the mammogram. I got a lot of respect for women, but never more than now because that exam is painful no matter what size you are. I'm an A cup. I found out. uh, (laughs) Who knew? I thought my personality was perky. I I didn't know that I was actually I had to wait two weeks for the results. That was the longest two weeks of my life. I went to church. I wouldn't even let anybody pray for me because I didn't want anybody laying hands on me. I felt very vulnerable is what I'm saying. But the doctor's office calls and they, they, uh, they say the doctor needs to see you. He has good news and bad news. Bring your blood pressure medicine. And in my mind, I ignored the good news and I'm thinking bad news, blood pressure. The news is so bad when he tells me he's going to make me take another blood pressure pill. That's what I had in my mind. We get there. My wife came with me. She had my medicine in her purse. And the doctor says, good news, you are not developing breast cancer. The bad news, you're developing a breast. Singular. One. Not a pair. Just one. Which really freaked out my wife because she has OCD and everything needs to match. (laughs) 
I said, hold up. How at this age am I growing one? He goes, it's your blood pressure medicine. One in a million men will have a bad reaction and develop male breast growth. You're it. I know. That's, that's what I said. Oh, my God. I said, hold up. Give me the bottle. My wife has the medicine. She gives it to me. I read the warning label. All your prescriptions have warning labels. It says, upset stomach, headache, dizziness. Nowhere on here does it say, and you might grow a chichi. You would think that would be the first thing on the label. By the way, the best part of this true story was the doctor's treatment. He literally went, so you can keep taking it. I don't know what school he graduated from that taught him bedside bobblehead manner, but that was threatening at that moment in my life. I thought he was going to motorboat me. I was... Or you can stop. (laughs) If you stop, it'll go away. So, of course, I stopped, and a few weeks later, the lump was gone, and I got new medicine, and honestly, um, I miss her. (laughs) Oh, boy. Arnold Schwarzenegger recently said um, that uh, there's no heaven. Anybody see that article? Look it up. Arnold, Arnold said there's no heaven. He said he was raised in in Catholic school and went to Catholic church. Enjoy life because when you die, it's over. That was Arnold's take. And I was like, man, someone better reach Arnold and tell him about Jesus because uh, when he dies, he's going to be like, oh, my God, I'm going down. (laughs) (laughs) So he has a line in the movie where he's like, get down. So. I look forward to going to heaven. Not today, Lord. But I look forward. <laughs> you ever have such good worship? Oh, Lord, I can't wait to see you in a few years. <laughs> I think we shortchange heaven. Heaven's going to be beautiful. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to be in his presence. We're going to see the elders and the saints and the angels and our loved ones. But I think we shortchange it. You know, uh, Jesus said, I go to prepare mansions. And, and the streets of gold. And this is the people from the Bible. It's going to be amazing. Can you imagine kicking it with David? What was it like killing a giant? Uh, you know. I'm going to mess with the people in the Bible. My body's going to be healed. I'm going to have straight teeth. Don't look at me after the service like, ooh. My teeth are so crooked, Jesus asked me to forgive him. He's like, my bad, dog. <laughs> We get to heaven, our bodies are healed. That's what the Bible says, amen? Pastor, we get to heaven, don't you want to look in the mirror and go, God is good. And just... <laughs> I get to heaven and there's a mirror. I'm going to look and go, if my teeth are still crooked, I'll be like, forever, Lord? <laughs> my body's going to be healed, but I'm taking my jokes with me and I'm going to clown on the people from the Bible. I'm going to see Adam and be like, hey, what's up, Adam? How you like them apples? <laughs> I'm going to see Moses give him a map. <laughs> Can you 
Okay, it was a short journey, and they took 40 years, okay? <laughs> See David and be like, hey, what's up, killer? <laughs> Go to the great banquet. See Lot. Ask him to pass the salt. <laughs> he gets mad. and be like, hey, don't get salty. <laughs> I want to go downtown heaven. If there's streets of gold and there's mansions, there's got to be downtown. And all the businesses are going to have Christian themes, biblical themes, Abraham's daycare center, <laughs> Job's employment service. <laughs> Come on, I'm not the only one that thought it said jobs, okay? <laughs> These are good jokes, bro. I mean, they, but they don't read the Bible, so they don't catch it, you know. Jonah's whale tours, <laughs> Noah's pet store, buy one, get one free. <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be TV in heaven. There, there should be TV, but everything would be wholesome, you know. The news, all the anchors, the news anchors would be the prophets. I told you. <laughs> Noah could be the weatherman. It's going to rain. (laughs) See my mom and dad and go, surprise, made it. (laughs) But when I see Jesus, I don't don't know if I'll be able to talk, but I'm going to do my best to thank him. Thank him for... For changing my life, for restoring my life, for giving me purpose, for healing my family. Uh, he's been so good to me. If he's been good to you, clap your hands. Just give the Lord a kind of praise. This, this, this is my favorite church because you got pop locking Jesus up in here. Just pop. The church I grew up in had, had, had a big cross, but then they had two little crosses on the sides. That's all we had. You know, the big cross for Jesus and the two little crosses. I grew up convinced that the thieves were midgets. <laughs> too far? I went too far. Look at that. I'm losing that shoe. <laughs> I was worried about that. She's like, too far. <laughs> little people. Cornish game people. Okay. If we call little chickens Cornish game hens, why can't we call little people Cornish game people? How's my first sermon ever? Jesus and the little thieves. That church collected a love offering and got me a scholarship to Bible school. <laughs> you need to go study, man. I have a word I want to share with the church uh, called more than a name. How, how many of you know that we, we, we take the name of God for granted? We take his names for granted. Uh, but he, he's more than a name, you know. Um, Yahweh defined as more than his name. It speaks to his presence. When Moses asked, uh, who should I say sent me? He said, I am the I am. But if you look a few scriptures before that, he said, I am with you. God has always been about relational presence. From the Garden of Eden all the way through, we see God 
always wanting to be with his children. Amen. We call on the name of Jesus, but it's his presence that accompanies his name. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Somebody more than the pastor should get excited about that. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. I I used to only like the New Testament. The Old Testament's hard to read, but the New Testament, um, I highly recommend the Passion Translation if you have trouble understanding. The Passion Translation is a beautiful translation that even a clown like me can understand. And the, uh, the, the author is finishing up the Old Testament, but he has the New Testament and the poetic books. But man, when you, when, you, when you look at the Old Testament and you start diving, the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. Your, your, your illumination is not based on your education. It's based on God's presence bringing the word alive for you, you know. And I, I always say this, that we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's so important for the church to remember that we, the, the God that we serve, he is the I am. He's not the I was. He's the I am. Amen. He's alive today. Amen. We have to be reminded that Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob wrestled with God. His name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. One of them was named Judah. And from the tribe of Judah comes a man named David. From David comes the lineage of both Mary and Joseph as prophesied. And from this woman named Mary comes Jesus. And he goes to the cross and it's a whole new covenant with God. Amen. That's why it's so important. To understand the Old Testament so you can understand the covenant that you're in right now. Amen. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's Lord. Amen. I'm in a car in Montana driving through a blizzard, um, two lanes each direction, and the, the blizzard, we're, we're not even in an SUV, we're in a little Hyundai sedan, and uh, we hit black ice, and we skid and turn 90 degrees, and we're going up the road as we head for the ditch. I'm the passenger. I look out the mirror, and I see a big rig coming right for me. I'm about to die, but I called on the name above every name. I said, the blood of Jesus. And our car turned 90 degrees, and we went straight. No more skidding, no more woe, and where we could give ourselves credit for getting control of the car. It was supernatural intervention. We stayed quiet for a moment, and I said, you know that was supernatural. And I, I just thank God that I didn't call on my cousin's husband, his name is Jesus. I called on Jesus, Emmanuel, God with me, and he was there to save me. Amen. When Jesus declares, pick up your cross and follow me, it's a call to presence. Not just a call to do things his way, but a call to do things with him. Amen. There's a difference. Religious people can discipline themselves to do things the way the, the, the law says. But it's relational people that do things with him. That's why 
you have rest when you're working for the God. That's why you, you don't get, when people that get burned out, I'll say, well, they were doing it on their own. You see, people, I, I, just, I was just with Nikki Cruz, 84 years old, has preached to over 80 million people around the world. He's still excited to preach the gospel. It, it, it was just amazing sitting and talking with him and, and tapping into his wisdom. He's not tired because he has done this journey since the early 1960s to now with God. Amen. I was talking to my cousin. He's, he's a brilliant young man. Uh, religious people do things transactional. Relational people think, do things transformational. You see the difference? Transaction. You go to the store and you pay. That's a transaction. You cannot pay for relationship with God. It's a, it's a call to surrender so that he could transform your life. And then he shines through you and you lead other people to Christ. Amen. My favorite part of, uh, of the service is always worship. Worship takes us to that next level. Amen. Pentecostal church, pastor? Yeah. Okay. Uh, worship takes us to that next level. Amen. If we're going to be Pentecostal, let's act like we're Pentecostal. Amen. Pentecostal means we're filled with the Spirit and we get, excite, we get excited, amen? amen? My favorite part of coming to church is the worship. Sometimes you might, if I'm in the front, I'm sitting down because I'm praying the whole time and I'm downloading from the Lord. And I'm like, okay, i got to take a note and put this. But I'm, I start my worship on Monday, not on Sunday. I, I was at a camp, a young adults camp, last weekend, and uh, I had the men. Spoke at night, but in the morning I had the men. And on the first day of the camp, I sent the men to go walk by themselves for 15 minutes in the Redwoods. We're up there in uh, Santa Rosa, uh, Sebastopol, the Redwoods. Beautiful camp. It's a Christian camp. And I said, go walk by yourself and have some intimate time with the Lord. The worship leader comes back after five minutes and sits down in tears and goes, I don't know how to be intimate with God. I said, well, aren't you the worship leader? He's like, yeah. I said, don't you worship on Sunday? I said, well, don't you read your word when the pastor opens the Bible? I said, well, there's your problem. You're doing church instead of doing relationship. If you're not worshiping on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, how do you come to the church expecting to be fed? God's relational plan has always been three parts. I am your God. You are my people. I will dwell with you. I am your God. You are my people. I will dwell with you. For the married folks, how can, can you imagine waking up, saying good morning, and then not speaking to your spouse to the next day? Or going to work, saying hi, and don't say another word to anybody else the rest of the day. Some of you treat God like that. You say a prayer in the morning or you say a prayer over your burger at lunch and then you don't talk to God. How can you be intimate with God when he wants to transform your life? But that takes intimacy. Amen. We got to become a go to that next level. My, I shared with the first service, my son, he's living with us right now. He's getting ready to move and get married. Um, he has PTSD, so he gets stressed out real easy. So he took my grandson uh, to the zoo in Oakland. 
Oakland just spent over the last few years, it's like $25 million renovating the zoo. They went from just being this ghetto zoo. <laughs> One time I went in the safari section, they had a cutout plywood zebra. Not like a zebra with the sign, you know, pointing. No, this was their version of a zebra. I'm like, man, you could try harder. Buy a donkey, paint some stripes. <laughs> but they've renovated that zoo where you have to take the gondola up to the next level. They've got grizzly bears. They've got wolves. They've got cougars. They've got a, a jaguar. They have bald eagles. It is amazing. Buffalo, they, they call it the California Trail because... They brought back all the animals that aren't extinct but were originally part of California. They've done that. My son went to the zoo. He spent 15 minutes there. He said it was the worst zoo ever. All I saw was monkeys and goats. He took my grandson into the petting zoo and he said there was a goat and in the other area there was a cage of monkeys. That's all he saw. I said, well, didn't you go to the next level where you would have saw the bears and the wolves and the eagles? Oh, man, I didn't do that. I didn't know that was up there. I thought that was just a ride. Some of us have been playing church for a long time, and all you've seen for the last 20 years was monkeys and goats. We need to be have a desire to go to that next level. Amen? We got to want to that next level with God. Amen? Psalms 22.3 says, Yet I know that you are most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Where am I yet I know, brothers and sisters, at? Yet I know. See, the first two scriptures of that psalm, it's a prophetic lament of, a lament of David giving a, a portrait of what Jesus was going to endure on the cross. Because the first two scriptures of that psalm, he's like, where are you, God? How could you abandon me, God? Some of you have felt abandoned before. But yet that third scripture, yet I know you are God. We need to become a yet I know kind of church. No matter what you're going through, you worship. You get a bad doctor's report, yet I know you are Jehovah Rapha. You are my healer. You get... You get uh, your finances aren't adding up. Yet I know you are Jehovah Jireh. That's, this is why we worship. We invite him in to our circumstances. Your past is creeping up on you. Yet I know you are my righteousness. That's the devil does. He throws our past in our faces. How, how, you, how do you, who are you to think you can go into church and worship? The only time he tries to tell the truth is when he says you're not worthy. Because on our own, none of us are worthy. But because of who he is, he is worthy to receive our praise. Amen. When we worship, we invite the presence of God to be with us. We invite him into our circumstances. Translations using the word enthroned or sit. They draw from the same concept where a man would sit on a throne as the king or a special guest sits at the head of the table. So then the phrase means God inhabits, he rests in, he sits upon, he dwells within his people's songs of worship and adoration. Whatever you're going through worship and you invite God and you invite his presence into your situation because where God is, the enemy will flee. He's got no choice. Dealing with anxiety, put on your worship. 
And I, I've dealt with anxiety before, and the worst part about anxiety is not, is not even the attack. It's the anticipation of the attack that will cripple you. I remember being overseas in the Air Force, and they ordered me to the post office because anxiety had such a grip on me, I didn't want to see what bills came in. I literally had, if you know a military duffel bag, it's, you know, it's round about that big. I had a duffel bag full of mail. It had been that long since I went to the post office. It crippled me. Didn't know I had checks. <laughs> My bank account was overflowing because anxiety robbed me. So when I finally faced my problems and gave it to the Lord, then I realized, what? Oh, they gave me more money because I moved to Korea. So they gave me the housing from Hawaii. My kids were living in Hawaii. So they, they, you know, yet anxiety ripped me off. The last time I was here two years ago, that was the first time I heard a word from God as I went to minister. And was stepping into this church. We left Cutler. And as we entered, I heard anxiety. We entered this building. I'd heard it in my spirit so loud, and I actually rebuked it. Then I had to ask the Lord to forgive me because he wasn't telling me. I said, anxiety, I've had anxiety. I don't have anxiety right now. I rebuke you. I thought it was the enemy. It was the Lord. And when I was done speaking, the Lord said, anxiety, call it out. And I came back up to the pulpit and called it out, and people were set free. The Lord wants to set people free from anxiety, from depression, from whatever you're going through. But it takes his presence to break those chains. Amen. We are his tabernacle now. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was set up in the tabernacle. Tabernacle was a mobile, was a mobile tent that they housed the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord. Jesus comes, he changes the game, and now we are the tabernacle of God. When you embrace that, you are the dwelling place. You are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. That will stop you from treading on His grace. We all fall short of the glory of God. But when you're a religious person, you can just wake up every day and go, God, forgive me. But when you're relational, it grieves you when you grieve the Spirit of God. Understand that if you've accepted Jesus as Savior, you are the dwelling place of God today. Amen? Amen. Jesus replaces the tabernacle as the dwelling place of God. Yahweh's personal presence is made known in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. But when Jesus left, he said, John 16, 7, but, there, but here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the divine encourager, the Holy Spirit, will not be released to you. But after I depart, I will send him to you. Some of us have had Pentecostal moments in our lives where the Spirit of God fell on us, but it's been years. You need to be refilled. The Bible says it's a continuing process to get filled over and over and over again. That's what Sunday is for, to get your batteries charged so that you are a worshiper at home so that you are a worshiper at work so you're a worshiper at school we're called to have a life of prayer not a prayer life let me say that one more time we are called to have a life of prayer not a prayer life what is prayer? talking to God spending time with God that means when you're going through your job and you're dealing with the problem Lord I give this to you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you it's, it's a continuing thing from morning to night. 
at the hotel this morning. I went out to the coffee bar area the, when they had the breakfast. But I don't have uh, Dutch Brothers where I live. So I saw the Dutch Brothers when I came into town yesterday. I went, man, I want Dutch Brothers. And as I walked back to my room, I noticed at the front counter this lady working there. And I felt impressed to buy her a cup of coffee. So I went back. As I got my keys out of my room, I'm on the first floor, I got my keys, and I went by the front desk. I said, I know you're not supposed to accept things. I know you got rules. But if you could have any drink from Dutch Brothers, what would it be? And she laughed. She said, I break rules all the time. <laughs> she, goes, she said, I, I can use a mocha. I said, all right, I'll be right back. So I brought her this mocha. And, uh, I got a cinnamon bun. I don't know what, it was cinnamon bun flavored, uh, this, uh, my diabetes spiked, but I'm good. <laughs> I was like, ooh, praise the Lord. They got coffee that tastes like a cinnamon I might move to Dinuba. <laughs> I gave her the cup of coffee, and she said, what made you know that this lady at the front desk looking tired needed some caffeine? She said, I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning way too early to get up. And I was like, no, I'm not getting up now. I'll get up when my alarm goes off. She fell back to sleep, slept right through her alarm. She woke up again. She had 20 minutes to get to work. So she said, I was like, oh, my God. And she said, you bringing this, this lets me know he's looking out for me. And she just gave the ambiguous look and pointed, you know, the, uh, he, the, the big guy in the sky type of response. I know what I know that the Holy Spirit told me, buy her a cup of coffee. And I was able to witness to her a little bit. You know, we're blessed to be a blessing. And uh, I hope this blesses you and encourages you for the day. You don't get that if you're not tuned in to the Holy Spirit. You don't get that if you're running on empty. Whatever binds you, blinds you. If you are hurt, and that's all you know is hurt, and you haven't surrendered it to God, that's all you know is pain. If you've made bad decisions that have robbed you from joy that the Lord has from you, that's all you know. Who's made some bad decisions in life before? Who's took some blows they didn't deserve? You were doing everything you could to serve the Lord and then something rocked your world. That's the enemy's job. He's really good at it. He's good to rob us of the joy that the Lord has from us. But God, I have more in this sermon, but I want to get to the best part, to the altar. Um, God wants to heal people today. Whatever, whatever you're holding on to, that is who you are. I have a, an aunt. She passed away during the pandemic. Um, she was divorced at 30 years old. And that's who she was when she died at 65. She was a hurt person. She loved God, but she never surrendered her hurt to God. But she would tell you, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hurt anymore. But yet, if you brought up her ex-husband, she, her, the fuse, there was no countdown. The fuse was lit. Even medical doctors told her, you need to let go of your anger because it's exasperating your illness. Divorced at 30 in a wheelchair at 40. Advanced rheumatoid arthritis. And the doctor's like, your, your anger is exasperating your illness. Anger will rob you of the joy that the Lord has from you. Hurt will rob you of the joy that the Lord has for you. 
But he wants to pour out his spirit into you today. He wants to heal you today. I pray, Lord, what what do you want? I don't want to put on a show. If I wanted to put on a show, I would just be in a comedy club. Over the last two years since I left here, 26 people have come forward dealing with suicide. Nothing that Dennis said, but by the Spirit of God leading them. See, anxiety robbing people of their joy. Depression robbing people. Suicide is at an all-time high in America right now. The devil's good at doing his job. But we have, we have the cure. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, if imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, how much more will, will the perfect heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? A word that's been sticking to me, and it's a simple word. I get tongue twisted with big words. Surrender. Life is nothing but a choice. Hold on to what you've held on to, held on to for years, or surrender. Those are your choices. You can't want enough Jesus as a get out of jail free card. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but I'm going to hold on to my garbage. I'm going to hold on to my hurts because it justifies my attitude. It justifies needing a blunt. It justifies needing a drink. It justifies not liking that person because they did me wrong. But when you surrender to God, to give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another. That's the definition of surrender. To give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another. I don't think I'm the only one in the house that's been handcuffed before. And here's what I know. When you get handcuffed by the police, you raise your hands and they pat you down. Might be against a car. But when you're done patting you down, when when they're done patting you down, they put your hands behind your back and they cuff you. And you lose your freedom. But in the house of God, when you raise your hands... That's the only time you will ever experience true freedom is surrendering to God. Jesus, the name above every name, it's his presence that sets the captive free. In the book, God's Relational Presence, says in a theological sense God's relational presence precedes, creates and signifies the kingdom no presence, no kingdom as the worship team gets ready to sing I'm going to call out the names of God the children of Israel knew the names of God that spoke to his attributes Jehovah Jireh we sing songs about it, but it, when you declare Jireh, he is your provider. Jehovah Rapha, he's your healer. Not just physically, mentally, spiritually, every area of your life, he is our healer. Jehovah Sid could do my righteousness. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. 
Why are you fighting a fight that he already won? You're fighting a fight and he already paid for it on the cross. And he paid for it with the most precious commodity in the history of the universe, the blood of Jesus. Why would you hold on to a battle that he already won when all he's asking you to do is to surrender? In my spiritual imagination, I thought about it. Respectfully, what would I have done different if I wrote the Bible? I was sitting there reflecting and I said, man, Shakespeare couldn't write this love story because it's, it's a love story. From beginning to end, it's a love story. I was like, man, only thing I would have done different when they nail him to the cross, I would have had him jump off and go, can't touch this. He's not MC Hammer. He's not a superhero. He's God incarnate surrendered to the cross I said okay well he he had to die he had to be obedient it was prophesied and the bible says before the foundations of time the lamb was slain that means before there was sin there was a healer there was a there was a redeemer and before there was sickness there was a healer before you had a need he had the solution Okay, so at the tomb, instead of the stone rolling away, it would have been awesome if he just kicked it open and said, I beat death. That's not what the Bible says. The stone was rolled away and the first to see him, he said, don't touch me. I need to go see my father. Then he goes to the throne of his father. Here you go, dad. Here's the sin of the world. Here's the depression, here's the anxiety, here's the hurts, here's the bad decisions, here's the sickness. Everything that would rob your children of relationship with you, I paid the price, Dad. And then when he appears before the disciples, just go ahead, touch me. That's where they stabbed me. That's where they nailed me to the cross. His scars served as a witness that beyond a shadow of a doubt he was the one that went to the cross your scars serve the kingdom of God when you surrender your hurts because then you're able to put your arm around a young man or a young woman I know but I made it because of the blood of Jesus he's a transformational God not a transactional God Today, he wants you to surrender. That's what I kept hearing. Lord, what do you want me to say? I kept hearing surrender and healing. So we're going to call out the names of God in every area you have in your life. Stand up. If I say, when I call out Jaira, if you have financial needs, stand up. When I call out Rafa, if you need physical healing, mental healing, spiritual healing, stand up. And worship. Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for a move of your spirit. Lord, we anticipate chains being broken in the name of Jesus. Father, we worship you because you are Jehovah Jireh. You are a provider. And today we worship you as provider. You are Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Lord, if you have need of healing in your life, stand up in the name of Jesus. Not just physically physical scars heal but it's those mental hurts and those psychological hurts and those spiritual disappointments that will rob you 
You need peace. Jehovah Shalom, we thank you for the peace that only you can bring. When we say Jehovah Shalom, we know Shalom is peace. But combined, Jehovah Shalom means the one that breaks the chains that binds to chaos. Start thanking him for being the chain breaker in your life. Now, if you're dealing with anxiety, come forward in the name of Jesus. There is no shame in the house of God. If you're dealing with depression, come forward in the name of Jesus. I want to pray for you. There is no... Start clapping for them, church. They need encouragement to come forward. brave you have to be to say I need help start worshiping right where you are start worshiping right where you are and last but not least 26 people have had the courage to say I keep hearing a voice say I need to kill myself That does not come from the throne of God. That comes from the pit of hell. If you feel a call to hurt yourself, to hurt others, nobody would care if you were gone. In the name of Jesus, come forward. There is no shame to come get your freedom in the name of Jesus. Clap for them, church. Clap for them. Encourage them. Last but not least, most importantly, if you came today, someone said there's a comedian at church. You haven't been living right. You've walked away from your relationship with God or you've never invited him into your life. Today's the day to get right with your father. He's a loving father. But Jesus said, no man goes to the father but through me. If you need to get right with Jesus, raise your hand right where you are. We want to pray you into the kingdom. If you say, I need a relationship with Jesus. See, just that hand being raised, the angels start celebrating to know that someone said yes. Inevitably, I get messages after services on social media. I didn't have the courage to come forward, and that's okay. But don't give the devil one more day, one more hour, one more minute having dominion over your life. There is freedom at the altar. Come forward in the name of Jesus.